Hi everybody, welcome back to the cabin. Just uh, dealing with firewood again today. Sunny day but cold and then I think half a day of dry tomorrow morning and then snow starts in the afternoon and we're probably in for a couple of days of snow. It's that time of year, I think we're probably going to get some that's, you know, possibly could stay. Now we often, especially lately, we get some thaws in December, early December, and maybe it'll be all gone. But there's been, there's been lots of years that once the snow starts in November, it stays. It stays cold enough that it doesn't melt. But no, it's not calling for much. I think it's just a few centimeters or inches. So anyway, uh, like I said, it's trying to get some outside stuff done, especially things off the ground before I lose them in the snow. It doesn't take much either, by the way. It could be like an inch or two, and it's just enough to cover up, you know, some pieces of wood or a tool or something, and you don't find it again till spring, especially my axes and splitting wedges and stuff that I've got by the uh, woodshed as I'm working there, splitting firewood. Anyway, as I was working, I was thinking about, uh, I get a lot of questions about lots of things about, about off-grid or self-reliant living, and a lot of those are financial people struggling to start to this life because they can't find property that they can afford or can't find property at all or can't afford any property because they're broke. And there's no real good answer to that. I did a made a video, what, five, six, longer than that, five, six years, yeah, probably five or six years ago. I'll try to put a link in the description of this video and in the show notes of the podcast. It was uh, how to find... No permit required, actually, is what the video was called, I believe. So basically, it was where do you find land that is unorganized, that doesn't require you to get a building permit. So that was relevant at that time, still relevant to some degree, but costs have gone up, I don't know, like fourfold probably since then for this type of land. But I think the principles still apply. And... So basically, so if I go back and <laughs> I don't know if I should say this because it sounds so bloody greedy, but we bought that property, the, the uh, 20 acres that I built the old cabin on. We bought that in, what would it have been, February. I think we closed like April, around my birthday, April 10th, and uh, took possession of that property on that date. That 20 acres cost us $50,000. At the time, there was another piece of property that we were considering that was 12500 but it was five acres split by a road, really kind of swampy and not really suitable for what I wanted to do. Even though there was lots of crown land adjacent and nearby, it uh, still wasn't suitable for what I wanted to use it for. For one thing, it was right on a road. Uh, but... That was like ridiculously cheap for land at that time. In fact, that piece of parcel, that parcel was purchased then, right after we turned it down. Somebody subdivided, and I think they sold each, like a three-acre parcel and a two-acre parcel. I think they sold them for like thirty or forty thousand dollars each. So that's a good indication of how much things have gone up. So that piece of property, the twenty acres, unorganized township adjacent to Crown Land, on two sides. We bought that for $50,000 in 2017. What was it, two years ago now, a year and a half ago? 
uh, we decided that um, with the issues that we were having there, that wasn't something we wanted to keep in the family. So decided to sell it. And uh, I had already, we, we had bought this property and the, the other property before that. So we already had, I had somewhere to move on to. So we put it up for sale. We talked to the real estate agent and we thought maybe it's worth 150000 because the market was going a little bit crazy at that point. And I had improved it, obviously, put the pond in, made it the driveway-ish, a uh, couple of clearings, sauna, the outdoor kitchen, and of course the cabin, and a woodshed, and a little garden. So improved it, obviously. So we thought, okay, not so unreasonable or greedy to be asking 150. Now the agent convinced us to list it for 250, 250,000. Keep in mind, like I said, paid in 2017, 50,000 for it. Put it on the market over the April or the Easter long weekend. Like I said, I think it was last year. And we had a bidding war and two people were really bidding hard for it. And we ended up take, accepting an offer of 416,000. So after real estate fees, like an eightfold increase in value in, in what, four years, four or five years? Just ridiculous. My point being, the only reason I'm telling you this is that owning real estate is almost one of the only ways to become wealthy or self-reliant or wealthy, I don't know if wealthy is the term, but basically to be able to finance the lifestyle and almost any lifestyle. Almost everybody I know that had a decent lifestyle over um, my lifetime, like let's say my friends or my, my, my parents or sisters or whatever, a lot of the things they did um, was with by financing, refinancing their house and pulling equity out of it as the land values or, or property values or house values increased. So remortgaging, taking out equity, and then either renovating, expanding, buying something else, going on vacation, buying vehicles, whatever. It's been like a very secure way of building um, or financing a life, basically, a more interesting life, adventurous life, or more self remote or more self-sufficient or secure life so point being that uh, i would do if i was younger i would still absolutely do everything i possibly could to to buy some kind of real estate and i'm going to talk about a few options how you can do that if you aren't um, wealthy or don't which most most people aren't or if you don't make a lot of money hey kelly <laughs> what's up Paul? the dust you kicked up obviously none of this is groundbreaking news that it's uh, worthwhile or advantageous to own your own home uh, some of the other obvious reasons are security just knowing that you're always gonna have a place to live and that you're not at the whims of a, a landlord and you have typically more selection and more uh, options where to live and and often, if you want to live this kind of lifestyle, it allows you to live in the country because not always um, places available to rent in uh, rural settings, at least ones that are well enough kept or worth living in, for one thing. So why am I even talking about this then? Well, I think 
probably my main point is that throughout my life, it always seemed like it was a bad time to buy real estate and that it was expensive. So going back to when I, so basically when I was you know, 17, bought that piece of property that uh, with my parents, that uh, two and a half acres on an island, on a um, decent sized lake, but it was boat access and it uh, was not the most convenient place to get to. It was pretty far from, from uh, Newmarket where I was living and like two and a half hour drive and it was just far enough that it wasn't some it was still cheap because people weren't looking at that as a viable option or a reasonable distance to travel on a weekend to a cottage so we got that property for sixteen thousand. and i'm guessing on lake south of there would have been in the you know hundred thousand hundred thousand maybe several hundred thousand for that kind of property depending on the lake so had to go that far north to get a piece of property for recreation. I built a little cabin on it, like a little stick frame cabin, sold it and put a dock just so people can land their daughter. I could land my boat there, but um, future buyer two years later, sold it for 35,000, took that profit and bought a mainland property on the same lake that had five and a half acres on a road. And then directly across the road was deeded access for the number of people that were off, off the water needed access little beach and boat launch so to me it was ideal it was still reasonably priced it was forty-five thousand. i went in on it with my younger sister and her boyfriend at the time and unfortunately so i took all my profit i had a life of ups and downs financially i've been broke more than i've been uh, secure so during that period i was a courier down in Toronto, driving, a driving courier, like a car courier, making deliveries. And so were my sister and her boyfriend. And I bought a car, financed it at um, Ford Escort. With my dad's help, he co-signed for it. During that period, I think probably, what? Just, yeah, as I was selling the property, first property, to buy the second property, to put the money down on the second property, the profit, I got in a car accident and I had just stopped couriering and um, was not paying my bills and did not pay my insurance. Uh, no fault insurance um, plan had just come into effect in Ontario and my car was totally written off and I was not uh, given any money for a replacement. In fact, um, I wasn't charged. I wasn't the at fault driver. I was stopped at a park, uh, a stop sign actually in a car, like a rural road. So I'm facing, um, facing east on the at a stop sign, and the road going the other way, going north south. Somebody was coming south on that road at 80 kilometers an hour, and the people approaching me. So the other side of the intersection didn't stop at the stop sign. They were probably doing 80. Clipped the back of the car that was southbound. That spun around, and the car at fault coming towards me spun and, and smashed into the side of my car. So, lost the car, had to take the profit from selling the property to pay off the loan for the vehicle. Paid my $15,000 third of the property, 
and then um, ended up with no money left. I guess I paid my parents back with the rest of it. So, uh, what happened next? Oh, sister and her boyfriend break up, and then they stop making their mortgage payments, and I'm on the mortgage, of course, too. So I took it over completely. Barely afford it. wasn't working. Trying to get a job without a vehicle in a relatively small town. Um, just lots of financial struggles. Um, anyway, I was able to hold on to that property until I was 30, well after my wife and I were married. In fact, we kept it until my wife, uh, we decided she was going to stay home full time with our second daughter, so with her two daughters, instead of having them in daycare. So we cut back all of our bills. So we've sold that property, even though the mortgage was only 150 a month, still couldn't really afford that. So we sold it for $30,000 after what, 10 years, 12 years or something like that. Sold it for, for a 33% less than we paid for it. So just was able to pay off the mortgage and that was it. No money in our pocket. So that was, you know, an up and a down. I thought real estate markets never go down, but I bought that piece of property, the second one in 89, right at the very peak of the market and it crashed months later. And we were in a major recession in 1990 and real estate values were, were down. So 1996, my wife and I get married. Before we get married, we buy a house together. Um, bought it in May, I think we took ownership in May and didn't uh, move into it until after we got married in September. We bought this house, what, an hour and a half north of the town that we lived in at the time, because that's the only house we could afford. In Newmarket, where we lived, it was $250,000 for the average home. And we just could not afford that. I think I was making $15 an hour, maybe. And my wife was, um, well, she was just working at a bank, making probably less, well, for sure less than that. And uh, by moving north, we were going to take probably a hit on our, our, uh, our wages as well. But anyway, she ended up finding a job that paid better than that in the new, new location where we're going. And I ended up making more money as well. But... Still, we paid 99000 for that property or for that house. It was a 750-square-foot Viceroy wood uh, cedar, um, sort of a cottage, basically, with a cathedral front, you know, cathedral ceilings and a, um, full windows in the front and a big deck. It was pretty neat. It was on half an acre and surrounded by a bunch of, like, uh, sort of co-op land before it went into a county forest. So it was a pretty neat place. I was able to hunt and fish nearby and do all the things I love to do. And I like that rural living. Point with that being with all that is that each time, each of those real estate purchases, we went to less desirable areas or I went and bought real estate in less desirable areas because that's what I could afford. And that's the sacrifice I was willing to make. There's no way I could have gotten into the real estate market in the areas that I was used to. It's not like I preferred to live in Newmarket, but um, it was a stretch. You know, most people that I knew, if they were, you know, going to a cottage or camping or whatever, chose to live in an urban center where they could make more money and then on the weekends go to the rural setting, go camping or do the recreation. Well, I just felt I would always, I always preferred or thought it'd be better to live where I'd like to play and um, where I'd like to uh, where I'm more at ease and more and healthier 
and then commute to the place of, of work. So that's what I've done. I did my whole career. So, so after two years of that, we, uh, my wife got pregnant with our first daughter after we were married a couple, uh, three years later. And um, we decided that house was just not suitable for a family. It had this, it was really cool, but it had a, a spiral staircase that was the only way to get from one floor down to the basement where we had to put a second bedroom down there and a, I installed a wood stove to heat the house because it just had electric heat at the time. I installed the wood stove. We cut our wood and uh, heated the house with that and we wouldn't turn the electric heat on because we were so cheap or broke. So we would come home if we were away for a night or a day or two or something and it would be freezing, freezing in the house. So again, those are the sacrifices we were willing to make. So we decided that it was not going to be suitable for raising our kids. So we found a house in a a village which was 10 minutes from that house. So still quite a ways north of where we grew up or where we uh, we had met and where our parents still lived. And uh, that was a huge, to me, it was the biggest risk ever. We went from 99000 sold that house for 135000 but bought a $172,000 brand new home that we had built custom in a subdivision. And that just, to me, seemed like absolute insanity and such a big risk that, uh, I don't know, it really made me nervous. That was 70 square feet, 2,200 square feet, two-story home with a basement that we ended up finishing later on a half-acre lot in this village of 900 instead of the village of 300 that we were living in. So still rural, but it had a, a small school. At the time, it had a variety store, but that uh, ended up going out of business. So it ended up no, with no businesses in town. But good place to raise your kids. We stayed there for 21 years. 172000 we purchased it for. We did a bunch of renovations to it. Extensive landscaping. It was a bare construction lot when we bought it. And we planted, I think I said, 42 trees on that property. And I made a big vegetable garden in the middle of it. And had some belly ate apples and uh, chicken coop. Um, shed uh that we had quail in the quail and rabbit coop like it was pretty cool property um held on to that all through those really difficult times lost the business and so that was done 99 we bought that property just as our first daughter was being born actually um, two months before she was born we moved into it did those renovations did all the upgrades and up uh, renovations and stuff and uh so 99 and then uh, 2010 is when we lost our business and went and we were $750,000 in debt and we had creditors coming after the house and everything else that we had, which we didn't have anything else, but they wanted all my income and everything for forever, essentially. Um, fortunately, we had, we had uh, mortgage that house, like I was talking about taking out equity. And we were, because we had started a business, we needed the equity. So we were fully leveraged on the house. So at the time, it was worth about 320000 or something. And I think we had a $300,000 mortgage on it. So it was enough that it, <clears throat> it was leveraged enough that it made it not worth the creditors going after trying to unravel the ownership and the, uh, and the, uh, the uh, financing, the, uh, what do you call it? The, uh, lien against the property by the loan holder, the bank. So we were able to hold on to it. And after, you know, through other business ventures, finally being able to pay off all that debt 
and uh, make a deal with the creditors and get out from under that burden. You know, I'll talk about that again in the future, just all that turmoil and stress during that period. I ended up taking a job for a competitor who was a real tyrant and uh, getting a wage, but getting that garnished and that was just so soul-sucking for a variety of reasons that I would get into in the future. But anyway, we're able to hold on to that. And um, later, just fast forward to when we bought that, um, when we sold the cabin property, we had bought this place for a few hundred thousand dollars, this property that we're on, which at the time, again, was ridiculously high. I think the guy that we bought it off of had only owned it for six years or something. And I think he probably paid like 80 or 100,000 or something. So things are crazy. We paid 220000 for the other lot that we ended up building the the other house on, the homesteady house. The, I don't I like to call it a cabin, but it's bigger than the cabin. It's more modern, like fully connected and everything. Not fully connected, but it's connected to the like, electricity grid and it's uh, closer to town. I guess that's makes it different than this place. Um Anyway, we sold that Hillsdale house, the small townhouse, or that small house in town that we'd lived in for 21 years. We sold it for seven fifteen, which again, we missed the peak of the market. It had an identical house just down the road from us, had just sold for 785000 in one. I forget the year, but anyway, there were some, some things going on with the mortgage rates and stuff in, in Canada, and uh, it just drove the price down. Where am I going with all this? Basically, that there's never a good time to get in the market. It always seemed like it was really high, overpriced, that we couldn't afford it, and that we shouldn't buy in. We should just maybe rent or just get a small place and stay there. But I'm, my life wouldn't be the same if we didn't buy real estate and if we didn't take a chance and extend ourselves to get into the market. Right now, seems like a horrible time to buy real estate. But I'm telling you, it's always it's always going to look like a bad time. And you always think prices are going to come down. We've been thinking that forever. My wife's brother has been, it's been 20 years. He had 20 years ago, probably had a down payment and thought, I guess, wait for the market to drop a little bit and then buy in. And it's gone not, done nothing but go way up four or five times since then. So he, he lost out and he won't get into the market now. Uh, so if I have one bit of advice for somebody who is starting out or maybe not even starting out later in life, possibly even, and has an opportunity or is trying to figure out what the first steps they're going to take to become more financially secure or debt free so that they can do this, take on the debt of a mortgage and get into the market, even though the rates are high. I'm, it's a bunch of factors, a bunch of reasons. I really believe that most markets, prices are going to continue to increase and we're still going to be up 25 to 50% in the next, say, seven years, at least in, in the real estate market and values. So if you can get in, like do absolutely anything you can to get into the market. As far as interest rates are concerned, they're kind of, they're high right now, but they're no higher than they were when we bought our first house. We made it work and then as rates dropped we were in a better position so i would try to find a, a house or a property that you can afford right now with these interest rates and then 
you can pretty well guarantee they're going to, over the next five or seven years, rates are coming back down basically close to zero again. But real estate values are going to keep going up, especially as those rates drop. So by postponing it, it's um, you may never get into the market. I would buy in at a relatively high interest rate and lock in short term. Like I don't even know what the terms are now. If you can get a two-year term, one or two, or five-year term at the most, try to lock in or have a variable rate so that it, you take advantage of it as it drops. But I'm, it sounds like in the U.S. that that uh, the Fed is talking about uh, and uh, you know, what do you call it? Uh, Yellen is talking about lowering rates already, and they're going to be injecting money into the economy again crazy amounts of money just to keep it afloat or keep us from getting going into recession. Um, but between that and the institutions that are starting to buy up residential real estate, single home and multi-home um, or multifamily, like predictions are by 2030 that 60% of the, even a single family real estate market will be owned by institutions and that you'll be renting those properties. So that's going to keep the market high. Anyway, it's a bunch of factors like that. So best advice I can give to anybody is to to set themselves up for debt-free living in the future or financial security, financial freedom and self-reliance. Work, take any job you can get that pays it well enough to put some money aside to to uh, save up that down payment or try to get creative financing through uh, you know, vendor take back or family loan or something. Find some way to get into the market and then five years from now, you'd be glad you did and you can maybe uh, get out from under the, the extra debt that you've taken on or the extra workload you've taken on because rates are lower and you're uh, hopefully making more money than you were today. Anyway, that's uh, so that's advice and basically I'm giving my daughters and Anybody else that I know of that um, that's around that age that's starting out, um, forget about all the other things you can invest in, which I'll talk about in the future too. Like um, I, I've talked about before the stock market and things like that, but precious metals, Bitcoin, things like that. I'd like to talk to, to you more about. But primary, pay off your debt, pay off those credit cards, take on extra work so that you can make enough money. And there's lots of jobs and even remote places if you need to go there or uh, work in extra hours, whatever it takes to, to raise the capital to do that, I would do that. And then uh, forget about all the other investments until you get some real estate under your belt. Anyway, that's it. If, you, um, <laughs> if you're interested in any more of my self-reliance talks or if you're, you're interested in how I got to my this place in my life, then you can uh, follow me on podcasts on any all the major podcast uh, platforms, Spotify, Apple, Google, whatever other ones there are. And on uh, YouTube, you can watch my main videos on my Self-Reliance channel or watch these talks and other talking videos about the lifestyle, off-grid um, Self-Reliant lifestyle on my Sean James YouTube channel. So thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. And I look forward to seeing you back here at the cabin next time. Take care. Mm-hmm.